0: Activism isn't about being loud, it's about making a meaningful change. I'm a catalyst for
1: change. Catalyst, catalyst
0: for, for change. change. I saw what was happening to our planet
2: and the injustice of climate change.
1: I was like, wow, I'm an activist at heart.
2: Combining art and activism to inspire change.
0: I had to find my place in activism as a young black woman. I realized you're never too small to take action. Youth have ideas for what a climate resilient future looks like. Protecting the environment is an
1: white people's thing. It's something for everyone.
2: I wanted to learn about how inequality, poverty and gender intersect.
1: Intersectional feminism is important to discuss. Now people are joining me and we're making change.
2: I had to learn to trust my abilities and understand that my voice mattered. I've proved to myself what I can do.
1: Change needs to start with you and me.
2: You are leading.
1: Sanwanani Dumelang Apsheni and welcome to Youth Tal or.
2: The homegrown South African podcast, sharing stories of young people taking action to create a more sustainable, inclusive and equitable future for all.
1: We're your hosts, Bunolo Mwikangani. And I'm joined with my co-host, with the most,
2: Zaheer Suleiman. And today we have such an exciting and interesting topic for you guys. Isn't that right, Bonolo? Most
1: definitely. You know, we as young people are constantly in this phase of changing, whether it's transitioning from high school to university or just trying new aspects of life. Essentially, we're just in this phase of finding ourselves. Mm. And that's what today's story is all about.
2: We're so excited to be welcoming Tabi Seng Mabetlela. A computer programmer, something we did not expect. Who is twenty-two years old? Hi, welcome.
0: Hi, Zahir and Bonolo. I'm so happy to be here. You guys are just so amazing.
2: Now, before we begin, I have a I have a bit of an important question to ask you. Oh. If you could have any animal or creature as a pet, fictional, non-fictional, what would you choose?
0: A crab. I would
2: choose a crab. Okay. Do you want to tell us why?
0: Because a crab walks in an unconventional manner and it has, like, nobody ever just goes up to a crab and just pick it up. You know, like, it protects itself and has a very hard exterior. Um, And I think that you'll see later on
1: that that relates to my story as well.
2: Oh, wow. Dropping bars already. Listen,
1: (laughs) let's jump straight into it and waste no more time. Take us away. I first learned about climate
0: change when I was nine. I was sitting in my grade 4 natural sciences class and my teacher explained that the primary impact of climate change was the melting of the polar ice caps which in turn causes the sea levels to rise. I was instantly filled with dread. I couldn't swim. And I imagined myself being swept away during a terrible storm clinging to a tree trunk for dear life. I think the thing that scared me the most was that nature was unpredictable. I didn't like the way it was so big and impossible to control, you were just left holding onto a tree trunk while it raged around you. I didn't want to join the environmental movement, I wanted to be involved in something I could control. So I chose computer science. Computer science also suited my personality. Growing up as an only child, I cherished time alone. I wanted to do everything myself. I loved doing homework and working on projects, and only asked for help when I needed someone to hold something in place. Relatable. (laughs) (laughs) I like computer programming because it was simple. A computer is assembled to follow your instruction. You tell it to do something by writing a set of lines called code, and it creates something cool, like the once viral mobile game, Pokemon Go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was a phase.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Loved it. If I designed something cool like that, I could become rich and live happily ever after.
2: I'm loving that for you.
0: This belief of mine vanished once I got to university. I was surrounded by the smartest people whose programming abilities were like second nature to them. That's when I knew I had to stand out. I was not a genius who could drop out of university after doing one year and start a popular social networking site. I was sometimes slow to understand the coursework and often hesitated before deciding which tool to use in building my code. And I certainly cannot bear just being a regular software developer who fixes errors and often gets mistaken for the IT guy in the workplace.
2: (laughs) No offense to any IT guys out there.
0: At all, no offense. So I got to work. I surfed through numerous posts on programming forums on how to be better at coding. I even mustered up the courage to reach out to one of my lecturers for some guidance in navigating the class material. I kept reminding myself that Ada Lovelace was the first computer programmer and that I belonged here. I slowly began making progress on my skills and hoped that my efforts would enhance my portfolio. I did improve, but after a while, I started to feel like my work didn't have any direction. I was always in this virtual space, creating virtual things, and it wasn't connected to anything in real life. Nothing bigger than just me. And yeah, I could get a job and make good money, but was being rich and famous all I was trying to achieve. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why did I keep feeling like this just wasn't enough? Then one day, I came across this young woman on Facebook from Nepal who was a social entrepreneur, working on a business that helped and hunger in a community while also empowering indigenous women through sustainable fishing. Sure. I was instantly drawn to how she was tackling relevant issues in a creative way working towards a good cause and making profit. I was a little anxious because she already found her purpose at a young age and it made me feel as though I was running out of time. Thinking I was delusional, I considered applying for the MIT Global Startup Labs in 2019, which empowers young technology entrepreneurs to build innovation-driven enterprises. At first, I thought it was crazy. This was so advanced. They wouldn't possibly accept me. Sure. But I kept thinking about the girl in Nepal. I figured I had nothing to lose. So I applied. And much to my surprise, my application was accepted. Oh, wow. Sure. In my submission, I wrote about how I could combine computer programming with electrical technology, taking inspiration from robotics to solve a socioeconomic issue. Oh. After a grueling four weeks of my team working on our startup idea, we created an Internet of Things device that could track electricity in real time, then use artificial intelligence to suggest better ways to save money. There were a lot of brilliant innovations on display, and we didn't know how ours would compare, but we were voted by the audience as their favorite pitch. I couldn't believe it. fantastic. And I felt this rush of confidence in my body. I left feeling as though there was no problem I couldn't solve. Mm, So I started looking for what else might be out there. I started visiting this Opportunities for Africans website, which is essentially a portal for young Africans to access scholarships, Mm -hmm. internships, grants, and competitions. Both the MIT experience and this website helped put things into focus. I could use my computer science to create innovations for social good. It was around this time that I discovered the United Nations' 17 Sustainable Development Goals, and I loved them. Mm. I wanted to help bring this inspiring vision into reality, but I had no idea how to do it. The more I researched about what was needed, the more things seemed impossible. There were too many barriers, too many problems that I didn't know how to overcome. Mm. Once I added a South African lens, it all became a bit overwhelming. I don't need to explain all the challenges we face in South Africa. Mm. What if I didn't want to deal with all of this? Did that make me a bad person? It was too much and too dark and I didn't know what to do with it all. The light at the end of the tunnel came in the form of the Youth Policy Committee at Youth Hitsaya. I hadn't thought about the advocacy and policy space before, but the more I started seeing what they were doing, the more I wanted to get involved. YPC was not afraid to speak up and question decisions that the government had regarding our future. It looked like they were addressing those same challenges that I had felt so overwhelmed by. So I had to get involved. And I joined the YPC. During my first online meeting, I felt completely out of my depth. I was so inexperienced in these processes. I didn't know how all these breakaway rooms worked on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know all these documents and policies everyone was talking about. And I had no idea how to write policy statements. My technically inclined mind was used to a binary system, zero and one, yes or no, right or wrong. But in this space, everything was placed on a spectrum. I wanted to take a checklist, I wanted structure. Rather than conceding to the feeling of not having an upper hand after my first meeting, I slowly began to adjust. I studied how youth society operated, and through research, I fully realized the importance of youth involvement and youth participation in curbing the issues facing us today. I have been in collaborative spaces before, but most had a competitive nature or smaller groups of people. Sure, the YPC was all about co-creation and intersectionality. They explored topics extensively, and relatability and context mattered. I also loved the feeling that came from doing meaningful work and not working in this vacuum like I was used to. Although initially, I was a bit iffy about interacting with so many people all at once, fearing that my social battery would deplete halfway through sessions. I grew to love meeting all these unique and different personalities. The overall experience gave me hope.
2: You found your people.
0: I did. And then one day, I learned about the most interesting topic... The just transition the just transition was looking at greener ways of producing electricity while also addressing issues of injustice and inequality. I was hooked and signed up to participate in a just transition policy dialogue with the y p c on the day of the dialogue. The atmosphere was serious with longtime members speaking about the gravity of this topic. We were split up to cover different sections of a draft policy document, and when I got my section, I groaned. I hadn't read this far in the document, and I had no idea what my section was about. (laughs) And then it began. People started speaking in this jargon, speaking in this policy kind of language, and I had no idea what they were saying. I sat there, completely in the dark and feeling out of place. And just when I was about to give up, it was almost like the facilitator could hear my mind. His name was Fisiso Mazomba, and I had recognized him as a youth delegate from the COP26 Mm -hmm. climate negotiations. That's right. He started simplifying the language and really breaking it down, relating all this high-level policy language to what was happening on the ground. We started speaking about the implications of people not having social protection and suddenly it made sense to me. I started to speak up, saying what I thought was important. And you know what? People listened and started talking about my ideas. It was amazing. For the first time, I really felt like I had been seen. Well, it was on Zoom. So at least I was Mm. heard. (laughs) Once we discussed everything, we had to write our own policy contributions, what we thought should be included in the text. I was supposed to write about coal district towns and how they could transition to different forms of energy. Talk about hard. I didn't know anything (laughs) about this, really. But I thought about the people in Imalacheni and other coal towns Mm. who faced terrible air pollution and unemployment. I started doing research, finding out everything I could, and really thinking about what a just energy transition meant for people on the ground. Yeah. The more I researched, the more I was hooked. It was like someone was inputting code into me. I took all this data (laughs) and wrote my contributions to the policy document. You know that feeling after completing a task you thought you couldn't do? Mm. It's a mix of (laughs) relief, pride, and an indescribable high. That's exactly how I felt after completing my portion. I couldn't get enough of it. And I wanted to do more. I volunteered to present our input at the youth consultation with the Presidential Climate Commission alongside Spusizou. Later on, I was sent as a youth representative to the first multi-stakeholder conference where I met the very communities that I was writing about. Hearing them speak so passionately about the solutions they already have but couldn't move forward with because of the lack of support from government really moved me. Mm. That's when I realized the importance of co-creation. How important it is to hear these voices in order to write policy that reflected what they needed. Without realizing it, my whole worldview had changed. I was no longer the person sitting alone writing code. I was now interested in co-creation on the ground, figuring out how to work with people to tackle these serious issues in society. Mm. I started working with the African Climate Alliance to advocate for energy security in my community. And at the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, I am ideating better ways to improve energy efficiency. Before I knew it, this topic of the environment, what I had felt was so scary and unpredictable, was now the focus of everything I was doing. And this year, I even started working on a wetland restoration project. Sure. Through this whole process, I guess what has struck me the most is the idea of transitions. We need to find a way to transition how we live to better protect the environment, to create more equality and equitability in society. But really, we have to go through our own personal transitions too. Mm. I started out as a computer programmer, scared about getting washed away during a flood And now, I'm an environmental activist, using my skills to advocate for a better world. I went through this huge transition, and it was only by doing this that I really discovered where my passion is. Transitions don't just have to happen at a societal level.
1: They have to happen within us, too. Sure, sure, sure. That's too good, I think. What you mentioned there about transitions is so important, right? That we're constantly on this journey of evolving, that we're not stagnant as human beings. And I think when you when you referred that to your passion, right, it's like how we as people are so multifaceted and our journey to finding this passion is so much related to our journey of transitioning, that if we stay stagnant, we can't really find these passions and these purposes that we're called to fulfill or outwork on the earth, Right. So I absolutely love your story. Thank you.
2: Let me tell you why my heart was just smiling this entire story. Because aside from anyone else listening, you spoke to me because that's exactly what for those of us that aren't in international relations or global affairs or something of that sort, sure. you want to find that transition space so that mm-hmm. you can bridge your two passions together. So that is, you spoke to me, Ntabi, you, you spoke to me and I love that. Thank you. Sure, and I'm
0: sure. glad to hear that. Sure, Thank you.
2: sure. So we just have a couple of questions for you. And I think one thing I want to start off with is you talk a lot about transitions and moving from the energy space and personal transitions to do better things. But this isn't necessarily an easy task. It can be very difficult to find bridges between two or three or four different things in, in life. So what advice would you give to other young people to find these transitions and make this process easier for them? Like how, like how you did it for you?
0: Wow. That's a very good question. Um, as Benano said, As humans, we're always, you know, changing and moving around and not staying stagnant. Mm. And transitions are very important because it's in our, you know, it's in our DNA. We have to adapt to the environment. Um, It's very hard. At times, I really did feel like the underdog. I felt like an underdog in my computer programming classes. I felt like an underdog in the policy space. You know, I felt like I had to learn more, experience more. But I realized that as long as you have tenacity because you can't motivate yourself every single day it's gonna be really hard you know whether you're like i'm just a natural non-quitter i will not leave this or you know you're reminded of the goal at the end it's very hard um just start now and be perfect later i'm never gonna have experience now in order to match up with my peers i'm never going to get the answer now and i think it's just like Just start. And once you've started, just hold on to that tree trunk. Just as everything is chaotic around you, just keep holding on. It's very hard because you start doubting yourself and whether you're on the right path. But I think, you know, hold on because I held on because I
1: was stubborn. I'm a Taurus. I'm stubborn. I'm not (laughs) going to quit. So, your story shares about transition, right, and I know in my own personal capacity in stages where I've had to transition and adapt i've suffered a lot of imposter syndrome, right whether it's you you know moving into varsity as you know uh a new as a new computer engineer or like computer programmer or you moving into the policy space and absolutely having no idea what was going on so how have you navigated those very real feelings of feeling like an imposter in a lot of these spaces and affirming yourself that you belong here like there's something there's a contribution that you can make that's valuable
0: um so yeah that's such a a very common thing to happen to you in like any space and sometimes i just like tell myself to channel Beyonce and I'll be fine because I feel like trying to be her (laughs) rather than trying to be myself is easier and I think I mentioned in my story how I kept reminding myself that Ada Lovelace who was like a woman and she was the first computer programmer that you know this she created this and it was like now male dominated and it's just very hard to find my place in computer science because of that um And yeah, so I, I held on to that, that belief that Adelaide is great at this. So I'm here. I'm here. When it came to the policy space, I did nothing in humanities. I didn't study it. And I think the imposter syndrome came because I, my lived experience differed from those on the front line from affected communities. First of all, second of all, I didn't study um, anything to do with the arts. And whenever I spoke, I was like, It was very one-dimensional. It was very hard for me to have all these, like, intersectional topics in. And it always made me feel like, oh, my gosh, you know what? Here's another dumb question. Sorry, but I was always apologetic. But then um I just got used to it. Like, I was like, okay, the shame or the embarrassment, it's going to come and it's going to go. You know, it's always going to be there. I can't do anything about it. Mm. Let me just ask this question. I need clarification. Sure. Or when you start speaking, you're like, what am I even saying? Um, so I think one way to deal with imposter syndrome, step one, channel Beyonce. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and step two Find that one thing Even if it's as small as like a seed Find that one thing that just You hold dear to you Whether it's related to your identity Or sure. you believe That you can do something Like mm. there is a gap for you to fill I think if you just find that I think that would be great
2: sure. That's excellent And I think what I want to ask now is What are you doing now? What what's the next steps for Intabi and also balancing computer science and being an environmental activist, like the bridge there. Where do you see yourself going forward there?
0: So yes, it's a very niche, you know, like area and there's so much we can do and I want it to be like bi directional. Yeah. Like yes, I'm now in this policy space, but I also want to bring my peers along mm. because they're very smart and they can code a lot of things. And it's you know, I want them to see The, the benefits of helping out of like using your skills for social good, which is something that's not really common in my area. Um, and also like, you know, the other way around, I really want to change like the policy space, especially when it comes to implementation. Computer programmers are doers, you know, they love getting down and doing the work and creating something like they, it's all about implementation and. We all know we have these, like, beautiful policies, well written policies, but it's very hard to implement them at least effectively and keep track of everything. And I think, you know, we can assist there is tracking the progress and, you know, Maybe even using Scrum, which is like this uh, framework that we use to code to sop- to develop software, um, which is very transparent, almost to the point of embarrassment. Like everyone knew what you were doing, um, so we could definitely do that. And um, and I think also we have to take responsibility as computer sciences to look at how we are affecting the planet because sure, when we that's run, important. yeah, very important. When we run like supercomputers, large, you know algorithms and stuff it's it takes up a lot of energy mm. um and we're also talking about like e-waste you know like how can we create stuff how can we create products that are not harmful to the environment And mm. that's that's very important that's a very interesting thing what i'm doing now is i am addressing energy efficiency i remember this one point um, when we were without power for four days, and I think it was on the third day, because it was low shading and then the power didn't come back on. Yeah. And I was sitting there thinking. <sighs> I need to go to South Korea. Like, I, I need to <laughs> But I was also thinking, you know, how can we solve this? You know, if I just had like this little, well, big power bank that I could just charge, because I live in an apartment. So if I could just charge it, um, that didn't require fuel, that wasn't so noisy, that wasn't heavy, that couldn't be stolen. And I was just thinking about all these things. And at the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, I'm actually working on an entrepreneurial, um, venture or project that can you know create indoor generators that are like the complete opposite of outdoor generators and they're very efficient and you know use solar as a way to charge them or you know you can charge them through the plug but yeah i'm just thinking like around there
2: I'm, wow like sure <laughs> okay <Sure>. you
0: okay. <laughs> okay. see why i love talking about this <laughs> so that's definitely what i'm doing and with the african climate alliance i was selected to become the ambassador for 2022 and 2023 Sure.
2: so i, Come really, I remember seeing the post i was uh, so excited for you <laughs>
0: Thank you. Um, And I'm just thinking because they're all about like activism and advocacy, mm. um, not really like entrepreneurship. So with them, I really want to work in my area um, to advocate for like, I don't know, tighter security around our power station or setting up a solar power, like a solar mm-hmm. farm next to uh, the power station so we can charge up. Because um, I did realize that when we, you know, these days happens where there's no power, and it takes days for the power to come back on. And when people used to ask the world councillor, why don't we just, you know, set up a generator and charge all these suburbs? And they're like, no, our generator's not big enough. But you see, if you had this large solar... If you had, like, enough battery storage to store solar power, um, solar energy, then, you know, when moments like that happen, whether it's cable theft or earth faults, all these reasons why we lack power for days, you could just set up everyone and you know, while you fix, because it's going to happen. We sure. can't change people's work ethic. And we just want to go about our day. You know, mm. I just, you know, people just want to run their businesses. Kids just want to go to school. You can't bath kids in cold water. And I just want to watch my K-dramas. So everybody has priorities. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if we could just go about our day, yeah. I think that's the core of everything that I'm doing. If I can just go about our day while everything burns around you, maybe, you know, that we can work towards something.
2: wow no that's fantastic thank you so much for sharing your story and bringing such an such a different topic to the podcast to be able to show people that you don't have to be doing a certain thing to get into the activist space. You can sure, find your bridge sure. and your transition yeah. wherever you wherever you are. That's all the time that we have for today, unfortunately. But thank you so much, Intabi Singh, for being here. She's a mm-hmm. computer programmer and environmental activist and entrepreneur, a K-drama obsessed Beyonce with a pet crab. Thank you so much for <laughs> being
0: here. <laughs> thank you for having me, Benola and here. Yeah, uh,
2: We're your co-hosts, binary co-hosts. I'm one, zero. You're zero. I'm one. (laughs) Doesn't matter. I'm Zaheer Suleiman and I'm with my (laughs) co-host with the most. (laughs) (laughs) And join us next time to hear more stories of young people taking action to create a more sustainable, equitable, and inclusive future for all.
1: The Youth Tell All podcast is a production from Youth at Zion, The youth programs at the South African Institute for International Affairs. Youth at SIA is focused on giving a voice to young Africans to tackle the major issues that confront them, while building capacity to engage with policymakers at national, regional, and international levels. Youth at Zaya empowers youth with the skills to become continental leaders with a commitment to co-creation, collaboration, inclusivity, decolonization, social justice, and intersectionality. Our broader thematic areas cover climate change, gender, education, employment, and sustainable and regenerative futures.
2: This series has been made possible with the financial support of the Embassy of Finland in Pretoria. This episode was produced by Kiara O'Worth and Desiree Kashulik in collaboration with Solid Gold Podcast Studios. The Youth at Saiya leadership team includes Desiree Kashulik, Titeboho Lebia, Lucille Naidu, and Itumaleng Impure. Story development has been done by Kiara Worth.
1: If you have a story to share or want to learn more about our podcast, our programs, or how to get involved in youth activism, head to our website at siyaorgza slash youth. That's S-A-I-I-A dot forward slash youth. Youth at SIA is across social media sites too. So find us wherever
2: you are. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember... Youth are leading.